Welcome to the Blade Fit Today podcast, where we discuss the lively world of historical fencing and everything else related to the sword arts around the globe. Brittany St. Leafy is a highly skilled sword instructor and a veteran member of the Mordhau Historical Combat in Mesa, Arizona. With years of experience in HEMA, she has become one of the most respected instructors in the U.S., and is known for her expertise in the art of sword fighting. Brittany's passion for sword fighting began at the tender age of 19, when she was introduced to the world of historical fencing for the very first time. She was immediately drawn to the beauty and grace of sword play and decided to pursue it as a lifelong passion. Over the years, she has honed her skills through rigorous training, dedication, and a deep understanding of the art of HEMA. As an instructor at the Mord Howe, Brittany, oh, you know what, Brittany? I messed that up. I'm going to say that again. As an instructor at the Mord Howe, Brittany is responsible for teaching students the intricacies of sword fighting, including both the technical and strategic aspects of the art. She takes pride in her ability to help students develop their skills and is known for her patient, supportive teaching style that encourages her students to push themselves to their limits. In addition to her work as an instructor, Brittany is also an active participant in the HEMA community. She has competed in numerous tournaments and events, both locally and nationally, and has won several awards for her performance. Her dedication to the sport has earned her the respect of her peers. And she is often sought out for advice and guidance from other members of the HEMA community. Away from the HEMA club, Brittany is an accomplished social media personality. She is known for her cutting technique, using interesting mediums, and a multiple and a multiple and has multiple medals in cutting tournaments, including SoCal Sword Fighting, Combat Con, and Sword Squatch. Despite her many accomplishments, though, Brittany remains humble and focused on her passion for sword fighting. She believes that HEMA is a lifelong journey and that there is always something new to learn and discover. Her dedication and commitment to the art of historical fencing has made her a valuable member of the broader HEMA community and an inspiration to all those who share her passion. Brittany St. Leafy, welcome to the show. <laughs> Thank you for having me. That is the most epic intro i've ever had <laughs> <laughs> you deserve it you deserve it oh, kudos to you Brittany. thank you <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh so life's been pretty busy with you um we've been you know trying to connect back and forth to get this thing going yeah. uh, you know this, this episode and uh well you know what uh for those who don't know uh why don't you share a little bit about yourself yeah, I mean, the marvelous intro kind of covered it all. But uh, yeah, I'm the, I'm the head instructor at Mordhau Historical Combat in Arizona. Um, I'm originally from Canada. I'm a, I'm a transplant. And uh, so I started my HEMA club in 2018 after having doing HEMA for a really long time. Um, and I've been running my sword school here ever since. And it's just grown. We started as a little little park club. It was like me... Uh, my husband and like one student and we started in a park and then it's kind of grown into 
something much, much bigger. And uh, it's been a wild ride. So it keeps me busy. Very cool. Yeah, I had a really nerdy thing pop into my mind. Like, like, yeah, the journey is like a sword duel all by itself. But I'm not sure how I could tie that all in. So I'm just going <laughs> to not say it. Or I'm going to say it halfway. I said it without saying it. <laughs> there, Yeah, you, you put it out there. You put it into the universe. Maybe. <laughs> I guess it's it's kind of like that. Sort of. Yeah, you know... Um, so it's it's interesting though. You say you started out as a as this uh, you know smaller um, like backyard club sort of backyard yeah. club um, where you know you casually meet up, and now you have one of the preeminent uh, HEMA clubs uh, in the country. I think that's pretty fair to say. I would yeah. I mean, not to brag too much, but I think we are one of the larger uh, like actual brick and mortar locations in in the United States. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's only a handful that are, are bigger. So, yeah, I mean, we've grown a ton uh, since starting up. Yeah, it, it really is an inspiration that's fantastic. And, uh, you know, you've, you've got the receipts to prove it. You've got the air conditioning bills that you can show everybody. <laughs> yeah, I have a brick and mortar <laughs> here in Mesa, Arizona. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not all it's cracked up to be. I mean, you know, when we started in a park, I had really big dreams. Like, I knew, I knew from the moment that we started things out there outside without air conditioning in Arizona mm -hmm. um, that it, it needed to be something bigger. I just, I had such a big idea for what I wanted out of a sword school. I didn't want a mm -hmm. sword club. I didn't want a, a sword group. I wanted a sword school. And that meant, you know, really shooting for the stars. And so everything I did was sort of a, a long-term plan to get into my own space and have my own business and, and operate it like that. So that is wonderful. Um, it's just the clarity of vision, right? Like you, you knew exactly the 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 I'll say the medium of, of what you wanted to accomplish. Yeah. And step by step, here we are. Um, and uh, yeah, there's, there's a little yeah. bit of like. Uh, uh, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. Um, you know, I'm I'm uh, I'm riding your coattails, so to speak. You know, I'm like. I don't have my own building, but, uh, you know, I do have a, a space that I rent, uh, yeah. you know, hourly. And, um, you know, so we're 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 doing that. You know, it's funny because I had a I had a similar uh, uh, vision um, or experience, I, I guess. Um, I was outside. Uh, I used to live in San Diego County. Um, that's where I first picked up the sword like uh, Hema style. And. I did it for fitness and it was a very solo journey for me. And I had a lot of time to think and just kind of Zen out. And I did it for fitness initially. Mm -hmm. And for six years, I didn't have anyone around me to, you know, spar with or, or, you know, practice with. And it was an interesting journey, but there was just one day it just hit me really hard. Like you need to share this with other people you need to open up a school at some point in your life. You have to do this thing and it's going to look like this and you're going to do it. And, um, you know, 12 years later, I'm where I'm at. Right. Um, but it hasn't been easy, has it? Oh, God, it never is. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah. So <laughs> you're right. And so, um, gosh, we're just diving right in, right into the meat of this thing. So let's oh, yeah. let's get into it a little bit. So let, let's let's let's. Um, 
let's kind of open up the the hood and and uh, let's look at that engine. So um, from A to Z, Z being where we're at now, how did that journey go? And how are you able to build? What were, what were the steps that were required for you to get to the starting point to now your school? Yeah, so um, I guess there's sort of a long version of that story. I'll try and, you know, cut it down a little bit. But I I have to admit, when I first started, there's a little bit of like, fake it till you make it. Like I was very aware that I was in a park. But the way I ran things, even though it was like me and literally two other dudes, who happened to be my husband and his very close friend. It's not like I, you know, gathered these students, they were like people close to me. Um, but we operated immediately as if we were a functioning school. Um, we had formal classes, we had set times. And eventually when we moved out of the park, we got a dance studio that we were renting hourly. And I dived headfirst into, I need a code of conduct, like right away. And it was like, we maybe didn't need it that early on because there were so few of us that we kind of just, you know, got along and we were all friends and there were some unspoken sort of like expectations. Mm -hmm. But I was like, no, we're going to grow eventually and need it. And I would rather just have that in place already and make it part of the culture. But like it was so much more than I needed at the time. So like, I, I don't know how to explain it. It's like I had little dog syndrome, you know, we were like... <laughs> We were like a little school, but like acting like a big school. And so you kind of have to fake it till you make it. Um, and that's sort of how it started. And so I always had that drive to be like, okay, one day this is going to be useful. This is going to be relevant. And I, I need to have expectations and a club culture that's implemented before we get too big, before we go, oh man, now we've got 30 members and maybe now we need a code of conduct. Like we just had it from the beginning yeah. um, and operated like a big school right out of the gate. So I think that's sort of the, the one thing that maybe a lot of people don't do is they don't think in those long-term kind of plans and they just kind of go with, oh, well, we're small. We don't need that right now. And we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. And, yeah. and there's said for that because you don't want to overburden yourself or stress yourself out or you know put too much on your plate before you need to but there is something to be said for a lot of like pre-planning and forethought you're right and i think that separates uh the 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 um well you you said fake it till you make it a couple times um but that I think that's what separates the fakers from from the makers. You know, it's um, you know, you you're, you're building, you're thinking ahead, you're getting out front because it is it is important. I mean, a code of conduct, my goodness. I mean, we're 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 literally throwing, you know, swords at each other, not throwing, but, you know, we're yeah. throwing <laughs> the swords at each other. Yeah. There has to be, like you said, there has to be that cooperative um, mindset of hey, I'm here to improve myself. You're here to improve yourself. We're here and it's inevitable. As we do this thing together, we are going to, um, there's, we need to build this sense of camaraderie. We have to all be on the same page, right? This all has to go in accordance with, you know, uh, the, the school, its vision. And, uh, you know, as harmoniously as possible, we need to be sort of moving together. And it's, and, 
and ultimately, right, the, the schools serve the community in the area, right? So you can't be totally different from, from where your school is at. Right. Um, but it all has to be just cohesive and getting out front um, as you've done. I mean, that's that's commendable. That's commendable. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's you, you sort of build your your club culture early on and it'll change a little bit. But if you don't really know what you want out of your school, uh, like just culturally, like the expectations and how people interact and the rules that they fall under, you know, without that set in place, you're going to you're going to have to build that when it's almost too late. You know, you're kind of mm-hmm. at that point, your rules are being written in blood. <laughs> and and you want to avoid that as as much as possible when you're running a sword school. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like some of those things are like inevitable. You learn lessons the hard way. Like I definitely yeah. did, but I mm-hmm. I didn't want to learn those lessons the hard way. So I tried to get a, ahead of it as much as I possibly could. It makes a lot of sense. It makes a lot of sense. And um, yeah, so I mean, just the mindset, right? That's that's well, it kind of betrays like how you are at this point so okay so that's cool so that was one example is you know you're thinking you're thinking big right so you know it's interesting um as i've talked to different club um owners facilitators um head instructors however they want to identify themselves as there's one thing that kind of constantly comes up and it's imposter syndrome (laughs) <laughs> I think everyone suffers just a little bit from imposter syndrome. Yeah, absolutely. And absolutely. I don't, I think that's healthy, but I think it's also debilitating at the same time. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not quite sure what to do with it, but it seems, and I'm feeling pretty good about this, uh, the more I get in, into, um, you know, talking with other instructors and stuff, Everyone's got it, at least to some degree. Some people don't. <laughs> uh, yeah, and- it, it's funny because, like, I, I definitely have had it, but I, I'd say in the last year and a half, it's not really been as prevalent for me as it used to be. Um, and and not to say that yeah. I think that I'm like you know I'm the greatest and I don't have any doubt, but. It's eventually gotten to the point where I'm very comfortable doing what I do, but I I try to not get too comfortable because I think if you don't have a little bit of doubt in the back of your mind, or at least like a little bit of, oh, should I be pushing myself? What do I need to do better? Then you're going to run into problems. Obviously, you always need to have that self-reflection. But I think if your imposter syndrome is so bad that you lack the leadership qualities that are needed to run a school that that's something that you you need to address right but i've mm-hmm. definitely had imposter syndrome i just you know my way of dealing with it was maybe not the the healthiest not the best way to do it i'll admit it was a little toxic at the time but it was to constantly prove it to other people rather than just prove yeah. it to myself you know i went absolutely ape shit on the tournament circuit and i was like I'm not allowed to retire until I have this many medals or, <laughs> you know, just, just stuff like that. And a lot of that came from the the mentality that I got from my old instructor who kind of enforced that. Cause he always said to me, you know, people are, people are always going to be on your heels and 
if you get lazy, if you rest on your laurels, you're going to get weak. You're going to, you're going to fail. Someone's going to come around and they're going to, they're going to usurp you. And I always had that worry um, or that I was never good enough. And so mm. when I first started my HEMA school and that's, that's probably when it's the worst is when you first get started. Cause like yeah. you're breaking new ground. You're, you've never been a head instructor of a school before. Like, how do you, how do you do that? Right. That's when it was the worst for me. Cause like I'd never done it before. So how could I, how could I try and convince people to pay a fee to come learn from me when I've never run a sword school before? Like, you know, these are, these are hard things to deal with, but you know, eventually you kind of, you hit your stride, you come into your own and you realize like the, the things that you are capable of, but it really took sitting down and writing out the things that I've done, which sounds so narcissistic, but it definitely helped. I created like, a, a, a HEMA resume, so to speak. And I wrote out all the things that I accomplished that I thought, you know, when I was 19, what would I have been impressed with? Right? Mm -hmm. Like, what could I tell my 19 year old self when I started HEMA being like, hey, you know, when you're 31 years old, this is the laundry list of things that you'll have accomplished. And when I laid it all out in front of me, I was like, holy shit, I'm actually kind of okay at this. And maybe <laughs> I do have something to offer. So you know, putting it into perspective really helps, but a healthy dose, dose of <laughs> imposter syndrome kind of keeps you from being a little bit of a, a, a crazy tyrant, I think. Yeah, it's it's interesting how you say that, you know, just like like you say, you know, I'm, I have this sword school. I've never done the sword school before, and I'm asking people to pay me so that yeah. I can teach them how to sword fight. And that is so daunting when you just when you just start out. It is. Um, and, um, you know, when you were talking, I, I, I like analogies and I like history. So immediately when you when you were uh, talking, um, I thought of this this vision. Now, I don't know if this is a, a you know, legend or how true this is, but they attribute uh, Robert the Bruce. You know, he was trying to conquer this castle and they failed like twice and he was down and out and, and he was thinking of giving up. But, you know, he saw this. He's taking a break in between. And he sees this spider um, in the in the grass, and it's just trying to it's 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 got its web on one of the blades of grass, and it needs to go to the other blade of grass. And there's two prominent blades, right? And it's trying to get over to the other blade, and it just tries and falls and fails. It tries and falls and fails, and it just kept going until finally it did it, and then it just started doing its web. And it just wasn't daunted. It just keep going. It kept going until it finished its mission. And uh, supposedly, that's uh, that's what gave Robert the Bruce like his his last oomph to try one more time. And and he was successful right. in taking that castle. Not that he's some moral authority or anything, but um, uh, that's was kind of this uh, this uh, this story that kind of stuck with me. I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And the way that you put it, it's like. When you when you start putting out at the beginning, you know the the information, the the ad advertising or word of mouth, however you 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 do this, like hey, we're a brand new sword school, come and uh you know help make this this thing go. I've never done this before, but we're doing it now, so here we are. Let's let's do this together. Like, yeah, that's a hard ask. It <laughs> it, it is it is. I mean, you know, ideally before you start a sword school, you've at least had some sword experience. So you have something to offer, you know, maybe you're not the head instructor 
with, you know, X amount of experience, but you know, you know what you're doing, you know how to swing a sword and you at least know more than some noob walking in on their first day, you have something to offer them. I think you know, that's the key, isn't it? It is. Yeah. You just, you just have to know more than the person walking through the door. <laughs> I'm glad and, you said that. Yeah. You know, that that's, that's an important thing to recognize. Um, but Hema's sort of funny because a lot of people's journey is so different. You have so many people who start a Hema school, not because they have experience, but because they're like, I want to do this. I don't have any sword schools near me to learn. So if I build it, they'll come and they learn that way. They just have to be one step ahead of the next person that comes in, but they've never done it either. <laughs> so it's mm -hmm. like, you know, and there's no formal instruction. There's no formal rank system. There's no belt system in HEMA. So it's kind of hard to feel ready. It's not like, you know, you get your black belt and somebody goes, okay, HEMA black belt. Now you are prepared to teach. You know, everything you're supposed to know. Now you're ready nobody has that and and that's i think why imposter syndrome is so prominent in our in our community um and the wider sword community too not just hema but you see this also in like in Buhert, you have people coming up as instructors and and, and not this is not a, a knock on them because i think they're in a very similar position is like oh you've been doing it three years and now you're an instructor in in any other martial art we <laughs> that would be like a no, -no. Right. Right. So we're kind of in a unique position where a lot of us are thrust into being in a leadership position, maybe not entirely when we're perfectly ready. And I think that's where the imposter syndrome comes in. So I think it's totally normal. Um, you just have to put it in perspective. Yeah, that's right. And and I think it is like if, if you're talking about a school, it is sink or swim. Right. So oh, yeah. um, naturally, there's people who come and go like young people. You know, they're just starting off in their careers, but they want to do something active. And I mean, I remember being 20, 21. I didn't have a whole lot of money. And yeah. sometimes I had some, sometimes I didn't. And if I and if and if there was a sword school, for sure, I'd be in there. But I, I wouldn't be, you know, I wouldn't be able to pay my dues every month. I'm, I'm quite sure. Uh, you know, for some people, it may be different. But anyway, what I'm getting at is, is that, you know, people roll through and sometimes they come back and sometimes they just gone. And so there's just sort of this natural thing with all martial arts, right, where, where people just kind of come through the doors and and, uh, you know, hopefully they're there for years and years, but most of them just aren't. Yeah. Um, but an, yeah, an interesting yeah. trial in and of itself is like that turnover for students is like on one hand you know, you want to retain students as long as possible, but that's not the nature of martial arts. It's, it's very transient. You know, it's very normal to have mm. people come in for a few months. You know, some people stay for years and that's awesome. And you want to keep those. And then you get attached and losing students is, it's really rough, hard. Huh? It, it, yeah, it, for certain ones, like a lot of the time I, I can be like, okay, yeah, you know, it was nice having you for the last few months. And I really, you know, good luck with your endeavors. Or like, I've, I've lost students after like a few years and they're like, I got a job out of state and I'm going. Yeah. It's like, okay, like I'll miss you. Let's keep in touch. Good luck. But then sometimes like you just, you lose the ones that just are like, yeah, I'm just kind of just over it. And you're like, Ooh, what could I have done differently? You know, when you, mm -hmm. you take it personally, you take it to heart and it's never easy. Cause like you walk the line between being a business owner where that relationship is transactional completely um, versus you know, you, you develop a personal relationship because there's a lot of trust that goes into hitting each other with swords. There's, 
a bond that happens that's beyond just a transactional relationship. It becomes a friendship and losing those people can actually sometimes hurt. <laughs> so that's sort of the difficult part of running a martial arts school as opposed to like running a bakery, for example, you know, <laughs> like your customers are more than just your customers. You have to have a personal relationship with them. It's more than just them buying something from you. Brittany, I think you're pulling a deep thread. <laughs> I think you spoke to me. No, it, it, it's true. I'm a friendly person. And, you know, when I get to know somebody and when we're doing this, you know, thing, whatever it is, um, you know, I, I get attached and it's tough. It's tough as an instructor because you do have your students. And let's face it. I mean, most instructors, I wanted people to spar with. I wanted to sword fight with people. That's why I started as a sword school so that I could train people to fight with because there wasn't enough people to fight with me, you know, and yeah. uh, at least that's part of it, you know, because uh, we don't start sword schools for the money. It's just not oh, why we do God, this thing. No. Oh, God, no. Oh, my God, no. Don't. If you're looking to make money on this, don't do it. You're just wasting Don't do it. It's not for the money. No, it's passion, 100%. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and um, yeah, and, and like you say, there's this line, right? There's this line between, well, I'm the, you know, hopefully a mentor, maybe, maybe um, but definitely an instructor. Uh, you know, hopefully my programming is giving somebody that next level where they can, you know, take that and, and learn and get better. Um, you know, they're, they're walking through the doors and, you know, uh, you you, you got to make sure that, that, that there's enough funds to get the rent so that everyone can mm -hmm. come in and, and grow. You know, like you, you take on this responsibility. And so you're not really, and I don't, audience, I don't, I don't want this to, to sound wrong. Like, like you want as an instructor to be surrounded by peers, but the people who walk into your door, they're at, in, in some sense, they're not your peers because you're putting in so much into the thing for everybody right so it's it's this yeah. lopsided relationship and um it, it sometimes it's isolating it can be yeah absolutely i mean i'm i'm very fortunate in, in my school where i have a, a a great community of people who are always there to help if i need it and there's been a number of times where i've had to rely on them or, or ask for favors and they always come through for me and it's incredible but you know, there are times where I have to be careful that I don't cross that line between being like, I'm your coach versus I'm your friend. Um, yeah. Because sometimes that that can kind of enter into a weird space where it's like, yeah, we're going out for drinks and suddenly we're talking about uncomfortable topics, but we're not in the school anymore. But all of us are members and it's like, uh... Do I intervene here and go, this is inappropriate? Or do I just let it happen? Because now it's a social situation that isn't within my business realm anymore. Um, so it can get tricky trying to balance those those relationships. And then, you know, the problem is like everybody's, everybody's willing to help because they love the community or they love the culture mm -hmm. until it's like, hey, yeah, I have a $3,000 bill and uh, sorry, I can't buy new gear for you guys, even though you all want it like right you know or hey this this toilet is backed up and has stopped working um i guess i'll go take care of that while you guys go enjoy the rest of your night like <laughs> you know it doesn't just stop <laughs> you know like they nope. they get to go home at the end of the night and i have to mop for two hours like and i don't yep. i'm not resenting that at all like i'm not saying that in a in a like oh fuck them kind of way it's like a, oh sorry right. i don't know if i can swear on here uh my bad 
sorry. Yeah, we may bleep that one out. We, we do have some uh, youth that, that do I'm watch this. I'm so sorry. Um, I yeah, should have made that clear. Sorry. Um, <laughs> anyway, I don't, I don't mean it as like uh, a mean thing, but sometimes it can feel isolating because, you know, when, when times get tough or when push comes to shove, it's on me. It's nobody else's responsibility to pay that rent. It's nobody else's responsibility to fix that hole in the wall. It's 100% on me. You know, yeah. I'm the only one with skin in the game. It's my name on the lease. And if it fails, I lose my house. Like, yeah, you know, and I don't think other people realize that. And that's fine. I mean, that's not their job to realize that. Sure. And that's kind of, you know, that 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 mantle that, that you take on yourself because because you're so you want to share this so badly. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't I feel bad putting on uh you know, what, what your motivation might be, but, uh, well, let's, okay. So let's get into that. Like, yeah. Why, why do you do it? <laughs> why do I do it? <laughs> you know, that that's evolved actually. That's evolved over time. I think when I started, uh, I, I had a very different HEMA journey than most people. I, I came out of a HEMA school that was an established brick and mortar HEMA school. So yeah. I, I started in a way that most people don't. And I saw it as like, oh, this is this is a cool thing to do. And my life kind of just took some funny turns. And I was like, eh, why not? Let's try it. Let, let's prove that I'm actually capable of this because my head instructor made me feel like I wasn't. And so it was kind of like a, a spite project instead of a passion project. <laughs> 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 Which should never Whatever be motivating. Works. Yeah, it should never be the motivating factor, but heck, it really was. Um, and so it's changed over time. And now it's like, I've, this is going to sound so sappy and like needlessly deep, but. We go deep on this show. Yeah, this, this is one of those things where my motivations kind of started to change when, as we got bigger, I was introduced to people that I normally maybe wouldn't interact with in, in my normal life, right? People that just come from different experiences, different backgrounds, what have you. And you can see how having a community like a sword school has impacted their lives, mm. which again, just sounds so dramatic, but like, you know, HEMA attracts the, the nerdy adults who never did sports and are maybe socially awkward and don't have a deep friends group they come in and they just attach and you can see how important it becomes to them. And you're like, Oh wow. Like I'm building, I'm building more than a sword school. I'm, I'm building a chosen family for a lot of these people. And yeah. so it's like, okay, now I need to make my space more than just a training area. Now I'm going to add couches and maybe a mini fridge so that people can hang out. Um, you know, or, or even things like I have some people who have physical disabilities or different types of neurodivergencies and they they benefit so much from having that community that I'm like huh okay th this is sort of why I do this it, it's those moments where I realize that it it has a larger impact on other people that really makes me go like okay this this is worth it all of that stress this is worth it um yeah. but I mean it's not like I'm out there you know literally changing lives in like these massive ways but it, it does make a difference it makes me feel like it is worth it and i'm doing more than just like 
okay, guys, let's just swing swords at each other. <laughs> you know, like there's more <laughs> to it than that, you know? And yeah. And that opens up its own kind of can of worms of like the responsibilities that we have as instructors or as coaches in terms of like liability or how we treat people and the impacts we have on their lives and how important it is for us to maybe be cognizant of how we treat people and why, mm. you know? So, but that's its own other whole other topic. You yeah. Know? That's a whole nother deep topic. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, you've said some very poignant things. It's like, um, being a, a HEMA instructor is like, it's like being a, a, a people gardener kind of. And what I mean, you, I love you, that, a people gardener. <laughs> yeah. I love you're just, that. you're just putting in, you know, you, you've creating this space and you're watering it. Right. And the water is just your program. It's everything you're putting, you know, onto the table and, what is what's important to you is going to grow and people who are attracted to that they're going to be a part of that and they're going to grow and they're going to grow their way you know yeah. and we can kind of you know as a coach there's only you got to let people have their journey yeah because right? it's their journey you're just mm -hmm. providing a space um and hopefully it's a good one you yeah. know we try we try to make it a good one but yeah um yeah, we're gardening people, I think. I like that. That I really, I really do. Um, Cause like, like I said, I I started in a school that, in in some aspects, was really great because, like I said, it was a, it was a brick and mortar, so that was really cool. I got formal instruction, which a lot of HEMA people don't get when they first start. It's usually very informal. Mm -hmm. um, we had a we had a built in rank system. We had a whole stable of instructors. Like I I had. Uh, a lot of things at my disposal in terms of like learning a martial art in a more mm. traditional way. Yeah. But unfortunately, you know, the, the social or cultural environment was, um, Cobra Kai. Yeah. You know, it, it's funny you say that I, I watched the first season. I've watched all the seasons, but I watched the first season of Cobra Kai and I watched it and I was like, wow, this is legitimately triggering and I need to take a pause here. <laughs> oh no, uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, it was it was wild. Like the parallels. I was like, holy shit. <laughs> like <laughs> it was crazy. I was like, man, I have some trauma that I maybe need to unpack here. Um, but yeah, and so it, it's made me very cognizant now when I run my own school. Um, it taught me some really hard lessons of what not to do. And in a sad way, like it kind of sucks that I had to go through it and I have, you know, those like emotional uh, scars, I guess. But I'm glad I, I did it because I'm very cognizant to not repeat that and yeah. to build a culture that is safe. Like you said, like a gardener, I'm trying to, you know, take the weeds out, so to speak. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think it's important that as coaches and instructors, we reflect on how we how we teach and why you know the why is really important if you're there because you like being in control of people you like being the big guy in the room and that makes you feel good um you know maybe step back and reflect on that versus i really just want to share this passion with somebody and i feel good when i see people do better and get better you know it, it it's sort of just a 
what's the word I'm looking for? Intention behind it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Different intention. Yeah, for sure. And I think that makes a big difference in how, how things grow and how the culture gets shaped, you know? You know, I agree. Um, the, the intention is, is, is everything. What, what you're, you're trying to build. Yeah. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. Uh, the, the last podcast, um, I, I was talking with Kai, uh, Tomas and, um, we were talking about real violence versus, uh, mock violence. Mm, okay. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's related. It's not exactly the the same as this topic, but for for whatever reason. So he he, you know, we he's in Virginia. Um, you know, a lot of his friends are are uh, military military who have uh, deployed. Okay. Um. Yeah, and um. So he anyway, uh, martial arts, but also self defense instructing. Uh he was talking about the real violence and how that's just this destructive force um but then how the the mock violence kind of builds this community mm. and for the uninitiated they don't understand why are you so violent in class doing these martial arts and you guys have swords and yada yada it just looks so horrible it's like no 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 this is controlled yeah. we're all here we're all smiling this is great we actually don't want to hurt people you know, yes. <laughs> these are all our friends, right? We're just kind of doing this thing together, even though it's not choreographed, right? Um, within reason, it's reasonably safe as far as uh, sports and hobbies and activities go for adults. Um, but, you know, things could happen. But if it wasn't a little dangerous, we wouldn't be interested. Right. <laughs> um, but that's the thing, right? The mock violence builds community. The actual violence erodes and destroys yeah. community. Yeah, it does. And and I think, you know, that's something that any martial arts enthusiast is really fascinated by is that line between, you know, the mock versus the real. And it's like, oh, would that work in the streets? Um, <laughs> you know, and my... The way my you said that, the streets. <laughs> oh, dude, people... Anyway, I'm not even going to get into that. Um <laughs> My husband and I, we founded the club together and we had agreed that uh, even though he is perfectly qualified um, to be teaching something like uh, modern self-defense, we wanted to avoid that completely um, mm. for multiple reasons. One was like just an insurance liability reason. Yeah. Um, I think it's, you know, it can be very dangerous to teach people something and be like, yeah, this is going to save your life. Um, I, I think that that's, that's just a, a level of responsibility that is not something we wanted, um, yeah. you know? So Fair enough. when we approach it, we do approach it from the historical kind of aspect of like, well, sword fights don't really happen anymore. Well, looking at the news lately, I guess that's not really true, but for most- It's mostly true. Mostly true for most people. You know, In the sword West, fights it's don't really true. happen. So we're learning this from like an anachronistic or recreation kind of perspective. And uh, we're just, we're just here to have fun and there's a sportive element to it. And we kind of remove the whole like in the streets kind of aspect. Cause it's just not necessary <laughs> for HEMA, I think. Um, and I might get into some trouble saying that. Cause like, obviously like when we do it, 
the purpose of like test cutting, which is something that I, I do heavily. Um, You're not training for the zombie apocalypse, Brittany? Right? I know. I am. You know, there, there's sort of the, you get the sharp sword and you want to see what a sharp sword can do. So yeah. that's sort of, that's crossing into the line of real violence to try and test that and push the limit on that. Versus but it's for sport. science. But it's exactly it's for science. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's always your intention. If you're teaching people being like, this is how you kill somebody with a sword. Like, I, I feel like that's kind of irresponsible, you know. But again, it's your intention. If it's like historically, we can look at look at this manuscript. It's got a ton of blood in it. And look what they could do with this sword. Right. Like that's that seems to be less visceral um, mm. than just being like, yeah. With your partner, you're going to pretend that you're going to completely sever their limb. Like, it's just like, <laughs> what? <laughs> like, I've never explained it like that. Uh, well, there are some who do. Anyway, I take it back. That's not what I say at the first. <laughs> at first. <laughs> but if we, but realistically, though, I mean, like, if we were discussing, okay, this hit, that hit, that was a little light, that was a, oh, and that's another thing, right? It's, it's a punch yeah. is not a punch, a kick is not a kick in HEMA. Right. Um, we're, we're after the amplitude or we're after the edge alignment or we're after, you know, like, so we kind of ascertain. Yes. In our sparring, what would this have done? What would we sur suppose this would have done? Because we don't actually know. We have a good idea. But oh, specifically yeah. at that time, it's like, well, if we does that. So at that point, maybe I might explain a little bit. Well, with this amount of force and this edge alignment and this cut, it might have cut your hand off. So oh, absolutely. Yeah. We talk about martial validity as like a really important aspect of HEMA, especially when we start sportifying it in a tournament setting. Um, but I always think that we we approach it as a community with the with the understanding of, you know, there are limits. And nobody's talking about it in like the application of real world killing people with swords, you know, even yeah, though that's not the explicit thing. Yeah, right. Yeah, exactly. Because I, I think otherwise it's sort of just venturing on irresponsible in terms of how you do it. And it just comes back to what we were talking about before, which is intention. Excellent. Nice circle back there. Hey, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, hey, uh, you know, I was just thinking of this. Let's uh, let's take a look at your your website here. I want to share. Oh, great! <laughs> yeah, let's share the screen here. Uh, that's the one. So, can you see that? I can. Look right, at cool. my website. Beautiful. It is beautiful. I, you know, I, your symbol's gorgeous. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it sure is. It's something. Um, There's I, nothing that screams out people garden like this, I tell you. Right. I. It's sort of funny you mentioned the logo. It, there's a weird history to it. So oh, it I was actually, yeah, it was actually designed by um, our friend Dylan Smith, who's an incredible artist. And he's actually like done so much art within the HEMA community. Like most people, I think, on the West Coast, at least are tattooed by him. It's pretty cool. Um, but my husband had commissioned him to do this piece of art in like 2015 or 2016 before Mordhau Historical Combat was a school that I was involved with. Mm -hmm. um, just Mordhau was started as a study group 
um, that my husband had under the Phoenix Society in Phoenix, Arizona. It was just a little chapter study group so that he could do um, the Germanic systems instead of doing the Italian systems that the Phoenix Society was studying. Okay. So he just wanted a cool, badass logo um, that was like edgy. And it has nothing, there's no symbolism to it whatsoever. Like people ask all the time, whoa, what's the three ravens? What's the skull? There's literally <laughs> nothing. There's no, it's cool. yeah, there's no symbolism to it whatsoever. But he paid a few hundred dollars for this piece of art. So when I finally come around in 2018 and go, hey, let's start a sword school. He was like, I've got art and a name. And I was like, <laughs> all right, cool, let's do it. Um, and so then we picked up this logo. So and it, they and named the video game after you guys. Oh, God. That is so... It's so frustrating, too, because, like, technically, Mordhau existed before the game. Yep. Um, but whatever. That's neither here nor there. So we've actually talked... <laughs> you should to sue him. Right, no, I don't want to... No, you probably that. shouldn't. Um, I, we've talked about changing the logo and rebranding, because, like, we're a KDF school. We're a Germanic school. What the heck does, like, Nordic, Celtic not work have to do with <laughs> what we do like it's just it's not super representative it's yeah. just badass looking and at the time in like 2015-16 HEMA it was like skulls and HEMA black was like the trend yeah, and now it's was. sort of like it's not anymore so like mm -hmm. I feel like we're, we're kind of due for a rebrand but um again that's just more money and more time so it's like eh I hear you. You know, we we recently changed our logo too. I mean, on, on my shield here, this is this was like our. Oh yeah. Well, anyway, I can't pull it off without destroying everything. But, oh goodness. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, and then so we we've we've rebranded. Now we've got this cool little winged lion up here, and. Uh, oh yeah. Yeah. So I thought, ah, it's time because um half of my school is youth, mm -hmm. and. You know, I just in the back of my mind, I thought, you know, skulls are cool, but everyone thinks that it's um, that it's, uh, you know, a, a football team. Everyone thinks that I'm wearing a Raiders T-shirt and I'm not. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think I think the skull, and some moms hate skull skulls. Yeah, the skull thing, I think, is just sort of a, um, I don't want to say outdated because I don't want to offend anybody else who uses skulls in their logo. But yeah, it, it's sort of just like the old HEMA, the, the HEMA black cool we're edgy we're not the sca like ooh. we're not olympics yeah, yeah. We're, like, we're, we're not yeah. olympic fencers. and i would i i've talked to kyle about it before we've talked about having something a little bit more representative of of, of what we do um but at the same time this logo we got so many compliments on it because it's it's a really great logo like dylan did amazing work with it it's so beautiful like, yeah and it looks cool as a back patch like it's kind of badass but uh yeah, it's not, uh, I don't know what the three, my student came up with like a retrofitted lore or symbolism. He's like, yeah, it's, it's Ringek, Donzig, and Lev picking the brain of Lichtenauer. And I was like, done. That's. Oh, perfect. Done. That's what we're going with. That's the symbol. That's the three ravens. It's, yep, we're good. Done. So <laughs> we've retrofitted that into the, into the lore. <laughs> I love it. No, that's great. No, that's, that's how the, that's how the, everyone does it with their multi-billion dollar ips yeah <laughs> that's great that's great so we've got this and you know i have to say that it's some really nice um camera work 
Thank you. Look at these guys. It's just oh, everything. That's my, that's my handsome husband. He's, I love looking at his face. He's beautiful. Um, <laughs> that photo was taken by Angel Uribe. So that was a professional photo. And nice. then my photo was uh, my iPhone <laughs> in my studio. <laughs> well, it says a lot about what iPhones can do, I got to say. Yes. My favorite part of that page is uh, when I first built the website, I told Kyle, I'm like, hey, I need like an instructor bio for you. You know, can you give me something? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he just kept getting sidetracked because that's kind of his MO. And he never got around to it. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Screw it. And I just put in a placeholder so that I could publish the website. And I just jokingly tossed in Super Champion. And then um, the website went live and I totally forgot about it. And then I've never changed it. <laughs> it is kind of badass, you know, because. Mine's all like fluffy and professional. And then his just speaks for itself. He is the He's Super Champion. He's got a sharp sword and a shiny armor and the devil yeah. may care. Thousand yard stare. Super Champion. Yeah. It's like, okay. That fits. <laughs> <laughs> yes yeah so it's sort of oh, a joke we just uh we just kept it so you know i was i was reviewing that a little bit um i i snickered i was like you know what there's a story behind that and it's perfect <laughs> yep yeah oh that's that's so cool <laughs> yeah yeah so guys uh uh listeners i mean you know we're a small community we're a growing community and uh it's it's wonderful so i mean if you guys happen to be in the mesa area or if you visit the mesa area why don't you guys pop into mordhow and uh, take a look take a look at what they got because uh oh yeah we love visitors we're always very happy to have people come in check it out come fight with us you know in fact i i visited it um it was um it yes. was uh, and it, that was really fun. It, it was cool. And, and I was like, oh, yeah, this is great. I get to meet Brittany. And, you know, the, and um, yeah, and just watching how you I you mentioned the couches. I really liked the couches. Yeah, um, they are my favorite. <laughs> I spend a lot of time on them. <laughs> it was super cozy. And um, uh, how do I put it? it? It just felt like, oh, this is a sense of community. It's belonging. You could kind of chill and, you know, look at some some sword books or whatever. There's cubbies for, you know, the people who come in. That's a really nice touch. And um, yeah, and everything about it just seemed nice. It's the, you know, the, the, the metals on the wall. And I was like, man, this is like, this is a nice space. This is a nice space. You walk in and it's like, it's Hema time. <laughs> and uh yeah no it's you welcome it's all deliberate it's all very deliberate I, I really wanted to create a space where you come in and it looks clean it looks professional you know we we are a martial arts school i wanted to avoid the kind of and again i'm not criticizing other people but like i've been to other hema schools and it's sort of like and maybe it's because like they're renting a space for a couple of hours so it's not like they can do anything with the space but or like I've been into like some jujitsu studios and like it looks kind of like slapped together and, you know, kind of hodgepodge. And I'm like, I we already kind of come in as like underdogs not being taken seriously doing HEMA. So yes. like I want people to walk in and it looks legit. It, it looks like it was intentional. You, you see the medals on the wall and you go, oh, OK, so they they do a martial art and there's like there's a little lobby area and like it's you know we wanted to be lend as much credibility as possible on the initial impact when you walk in 
Yeah, and it was really cool watching um, your school operate. So people came in, you know, there's the hellos, there's the, you know, changing things out, you know, the cubbies, personal effects and stuff. And, um, you know, everyone starting out just working together, doing the warm ups and then starting with the drills and then, you know, dressing up and doing uh, the the fighting. It just seems so crisp and everyone was happy and, and, you know, learning new stuff. And, you know, that, you know, that gleam in people's eye that they get when they're like, it's we're about to go here. We're going to go real soon. We're just going to get this thing done. The gleam, that, that's that's always fun to watch. People coming in and they're hungry for the fight, you know? That's, yeah. That's... Yeah, I definitely tried to create a space where people felt comfortable and wanted to be there. Like, I remember, I'm not going to say where I went, but I'd done a catch wrestling for a little while. And I was at this one school for a few months and it didn't last long because I went in and it was just kind of gross. And I mm. didn't want to stick around. And as soon as class was done, I packed up my stuff and I left. And I'm like, I never want my school to be like that. I want people to be comfortable to stay. And, you know, I have people that just kind of come in, not even to do class anymore. They just want to be there because they're like, ah, things are stressful at home. And this is this is where I can be. There's a couch and there's food and there's books and there's Wi-Fi. And well, there's not Wi-Fi yet. That's my next plan. Um, But, you know, somewhere to just be. And, mm-hmm. and that's, I think, the community part of of the school, you know. And there's some nice food around the place, too. There, Yeah, we're in a great location. There's walking distance for, like, everything you could get. But yeah. I've actually started, like, stocking my mini fridge, not just with water, but now we have, I just added, oh, my God, my students are so spoiled. <laughs> <laughs> we added, a, like, a You need a vending bucket. machine, Brittany. I know. We added a coffee bar because somebody had donated, like, a mini Keurig. Um, ah. and so now we've got like a fruit basket and I fill it with bananas and apples every Sunday and we've got like different kinds of tea and hot chocolate and my students are like, they'll come mm. in and they'll just leave stuff. They're like, oh yeah, I went to Costco and I bought an extra large box of popcorn. So here's like eight bags of popcorn and I'm like, cool, it's going to sit on the microwave. Like, and people just kind of keep adding to it. And so now we've got this whole like almost cafeteria set up now. It's like, <laughs> it's so cozy. <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. Now, um, from from when I was there, you have since expanded and you have more square footage. Uh, yes. <laughs> Can we talk about that journey? Oh, my God. It, it's a journey. Um, yeah. So we started with um, 2,000 square feet and uh, it it wasn't a super functional 2,000 square feet because like it's it, it, the front room is a thousand and the back room is a thousand. But the back room also has a bathroom and the water heater and it kind of you lose a little bit of the, the actual usable floor space. Yeah. So I think we were functioning on maybe 1,100 square feet, um, which was fine to get started. It was perfect for us to get our own space. Um, but we started growing and it was one Saturday morning and I ended up having 30 people crammed in to that front room. And I was like, Oh my God, this is, this is dangerous. Like this isn't a, this isn't a good thing. Um, and then the next Saturday it was like 29 people. And then the next Saturday it was like, again, almost 30. And I'm like, Oh my God, like this is a problem. Um, especially when you have long swords, they take up such a larger footprint, right? They do. They do. So like, then I started noticing all of a sudden that new people were still coming, but some of my intermediate and my senior students weren't coming as often. Mm. 
And so I was like, what's going on, guys? Like, are you good? And they're like, well, it's just too crowded. I feel like I can't really do anything. And I was like, oh, this is a problem. So standing room only. Pretty much. So, Which is a problem when you're swinging long swords. It, it really is. We had to get really creative about using the space. And we managed, but it kind of came to a point where we're like, okay, fortunately our lease is coming up in a couple of months. We can either find a bigger space or, you know, maybe add more classes to the schedule. Like we had to get creative. Yeah. And by chance, like just completely serendipity, the space immediately next to us had been vacant for like seven years. But the problem was that it was 4,000 square feet. It was huge. And we were like, oh, we'll never be able to afford that. And we'd kind of just gently inquired with the landlord, like, hey, what's going on with the space next door? And he was like, well, I can't actually lease it to anybody um, because the water shut off and the, most of the electrical actually runs into your suite. Uh-huh. And I was like, really? <laughs> and it, and it was a mess. Like the building, the, the suite itself was just, there was no drywall on on the walls. The windows were shattered out. Like it was, Ooh. it was a big deal. Um, but he had come back and he offered us, a really reasonable rate, but the catch was we had to renovate it ourselves. He was not going to help with a single thing. Ah. And I thought, yeah, we can do it. So uh, we took a risk and uh, we expanded to a total of 6,000 square feet. Uh, we dropped about $20,000 in renovations and it's it's actually been really great like we've had it now for about a year and i'm really enjoying the extra space but the problem now is our lease is coming up again and we're gonna have to renegotiate and now we've made a completely marketable six thousand square foot space that has all the improvements and he's gonna want to bring it to market value um but we also don't need six thousand square feet like we started to notice that 2000 was too small but six was too big Mm. so like do we want to go and look for something in the middle where we wanted which was about three to four thousand um which is a lot more affordable or do we want to try and keep the six thousand and really really hustle um which are both viable options it's just you know kind of what happens with our negotiations so yeah it's committing yeah, it's been a journey, um, but it was it was a lot of work, <laughs> you know, and all the renovations and the money put into it. It's like we didn't need that much space, but the deal that we were given was like we kind of need it right now because the different like we were kind of stuck. It was either two thousand square feet and starting to lose membership because it was too small, or take the shot and go bigger and see where we're at in a year and now a year later we have options again so it's it's a it's constantly in flux you know i think that's sort of the nature of of the beast when you have your own commercial space is like Mm -hmm. you know things are constantly changing and you have to adapt and and be pretty flexible so yeah but it's been interesting (laughs) it sounds interesting it's it's a you know it's it's a it's a good set of problems but it is a set of problems yeah, oh, yeah i don't 
I don't envy that. I mean, I, I, I pay my, well, for me, for our school, we, we pay our rent. But see, here's the thing. I can't decorate it the way I want to. Yep. I can't hang up cool things on the wall. I can't put the, the you know, bougie poster of like the knights and the this and that all over the place. I can't, yeah. you know, I can't make it the way that I want it to be because, you know, the hour before softball's in there. <laughs> so, yeah. And they hit those balls and it, they break everything, right? So, yeah, so. Yeah, hmm. the, I would never, now that I've had a taste of that freedom, to have my own commercial space and I can I can paint the walls whatever I want if I want to put up yeah. a, a poster of whatever I can do that that's within my power mm-hmm. um now that I've gotten a taste of it I don't think I can ever go back yeah <laughs> but <laughs> the, you know I sometimes miss the days where I didn't have to worry about the maintenance aspect of the studio that's right and paying hourly especially as a smaller school like we started in a dance studio paying hourly and it was awesome Mm-hmm. Um, because the commitment was low and yeah. the rent was variable. If I, if we were having a tough month and we couldn't afford it, um, we could cut back our hours or yeah. if we started growing and we needed another day, Hey, can I add another hour this day of the week? Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Like, you know, that flexibility and low commitment, and low responsibility was awesome. Um, but you know, like you said, you, you can't make it what you want. You can't always store your gear. Um, it's hard to grow a school in a space that isn't your own, you know, because yep. people come in and they go, am I in the right place? Like, this doesn't look like a sword school. This looks like a dance place or, you know, so. Yep. But when you get into a commercial space and it's your own, the, the freedom is awesome. You can do whatever the heck you want. But, you know, no one's going to clean up after you. If there if there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, that's on you. You know, mm-hmm. um, those windows aren't going to clean themselves. The floors aren't going to mop themselves. Like all of that falls on you. When you're renting for an hour at a time at another place, like a dance studio or a karate place, they take care of all of that for you. Yeah. You never have to think about it. Um, so you know, there's pros and cons. I miss I miss those days, but at the same time, now I've I've tasted that sweet nectar of freedom and i'm like that's right that's right it's funny that way isn't it it's like yes it's a big responsibility but would you want to give it up ever and for a lot of people the answer is no 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 no. i just want to keep going i I like yeah at this Mm -hmm. point it's like i'm in too deep my pride won't let me go back (laughs) yeah um and i also i think I think now I'm, I'm at such a large, uh, membership. Like my, my student body is so large that, uh, going backwards would probably just be to the detriment of that membership. I'd probably lose a ton of students going backwards, working backwards that way. Right. Uh, So, you know, at this point, like I'm in too deep. I gotta, I gotta just, I gotta keep going forward in that progression. Um, but you know, that's just, like I said, that's the nature of the beast, you know? Yeah. Well, let's, let's talk about it. Let's, let's talk about your, your school a little bit. So if I'm a new student and I'm coming in through your doors, um, at Mordhau combat, uh, (laughs) what, uh, what could I expect? Uh, what's, what's the program like? Uh, well, it's, it's pretty variable actually. We don't have like a set curriculum, but, uh, when people first come in, I usually tell them they can come to any class they want. It doesn't matter. But 
I usually encourage them to come to our uh, fundamentals class, which is like Saturday mornings. Um, and that is always guaranteed to be very beginner friendly. The language I use is not super, um, super historical because, you know, your first time you walk in, you go, OK, guys, today we're going to do absets and we're going to start with our Oberhau. Right. And then we're going to come up. We're going to wind. We're going to use winden, vinden. And you, know, you up into ox and you absets and like that can be really overwhelming. Yep. Um, you know, so <laughs> my fundamentals class, I kind of trim the fat a lot in the language that I use. It's very basic. It's super beginner friendly. Um, and we'll just cover really simple topics that are foundational to fencing. Um and it's just, it's start with a warm up. It's a group class. It's very formal, very structured. It's one hour. Um, and then afterwards, I try and pitch them <laughs> on an intro month with us to kind of just hook them. But, and most people take it actually. We have a very high retention off of our first kind of class, which is nice. Um, but it means we have good instruction. Yeah, I hope so. Um, <laughs> we, we have loaner equipment, so it's a very low cost to entry in, in that regard. Um, and I always make sure I have a handful of intermediate or senior students to kind of be there to help with some of the partner drills because I can't be everywhere at once. And our yeah. intro classes are, you know, nowadays 20 is considered small. So I can't be everywhere for everybody all the time. But um, that's a lot of new people to deal with. Yeah. Heck yeah. That is <laughs> it's like herding cats. It It is like herding cats. Um <laughs> Actually, I have five cats, so yeah, it it's very similar to hurting hurting felines, but and it's not their fault. Like it's it's no. it's just it, yeah, <laughs> it's just they're trying so hard to do what you're asking them to do, but it's it's just such a new experience. And then they kind of look around, and if you like, you say it's good that you got those other students there, yeah. um, because if if they're not seeing it, it just it derails yeah. pretty quick. It can. <laughs> It can, yeah. you know, and, and having the loaner equipment makes it a lot easier. Um, and then we try to make it as beginner friendly as possible. Like I said, HEMA kind of attracts the nerdy folk, you know, mm -hmm. the, the socially awkward, the quiet, the shy. Um, so I try to make it as comfortable for that type of person as possible. You yeah. know, you don't have to take a huge amount of initiative to like, get stuff i make it very clear like okay hi everybody welcome you're gonna get your gear over here this is sort of what's okay and like i'm I'm really holding hands in that first day um but then once they're in i don't hold their hands as much they're, they're yeah. on their own um <laughs> but uh yeah so we try to be very friendly to our beginners because you know that new blood is required to grow so i try to nurture that a lot as a good gardener should absolutely <laughs> i like that i think we're starting a trend here yeah <laughs> <clears throat> yeah no that that's that's super cool so then from the the beginning <laughs> excuse me <clears throat> i'm in my garage my studio's in my garage people started to break the magic and it <laughs> is uh starting to bloom and we need to dust this place so <laughs> i get Hermizo. it the allergies that I have in Arizona spring is not fun. So I get it. <laughs> <clears throat> yeah. So, okay. So the, the, the beginners, they kind of get their feet wet. They're treading water. They're swimming. At what point 
do they make it to say like an intermediate class? What does that look like? Like, what are you looking at for a person to progress? You know, actually, I, I totally leave it up to them. Um, all mm. the classes on our schedule are currently open, um, with the exception of our advanced class. Uh, that is the only thing that has a limitation on it. But uh, anybody can come to any class. The only difference is like, yeah, if you're going to come to our Tuesday longsword class, uh, it's still beginner friendly. Just know that there might be some language that you haven't heard before. We're going to work on techniques that you maybe haven't seen before. Um, but you're still welcome to do it. Most people, when they come to us, they will stay on that fundamentals class for like four to six classes before they choose to come to another class. Mm -hmm. um, but I don't stop them. They can come whenever they want. Like, it doesn't matter to me. Um, but we do have an advanced class that is limited to um, a higher rank, just so mm -hmm. that I know that if you're there for that class, you know all the terminology. I'm already aware of, like, the stuff that you do and don't know. And if I tell you to do something, I expect you to already do it. And, mm -hmm. you know, there's no hand-holding. It's just, we're going. So that's the only one that beginners aren't allowed in, but that's only one class a week out of how many classes do we have? Six yeah. classes a week. So, yeah, that's that's great. So it kind of operates like a like a like a, a ski resort. Uh, maybe I've never, surprisingly, as a Canadian, I've never been to a ski resort. So I'm gonna have to take your word for it. Oh, okay. Well, they have the different <laughs> symbols, right? So you've got you've got the bunny hill. They call it the bunny hill at first. Um, you know, where, where people who are new, they just kind of get their feet wet and you yeah. know, once they get bored with the little, you know, it's where the kids go and it's, you know, if you've never done it before, this where you do it. And if you feel adventurous after that, then you venture off to the bigger ones and then they have the ranking system, right? Um, yeah. Yeah. And yeah then, very similar. Very similar. You can kind of decide when you want to take on a little bit more, mm -hmm. um, but the really advanced stuff does require some ranking. So, Yeah. Well, cool. No, that's that's great. That's great. So people get to decide on things, and then, like you say, there's the the elite class where you you gotta. Well, and the reason why, right? Um, I'm assuming is because if you don't know what you're doing, that's the dangerous class. Yeah. Well, that and it just sort of slows it down for everybody else, right? Mm -hmm. Like if if we're working on a paired drill that requires a certain amount of base knowledge and you don't know that base knowledge, now I have to come around and explain it to you and your partner has to wait or your partner has to teach it to you and they're not getting the time that they need. So yeah. it's just, it's just easier to have an advanced class um, where my advanced students can just focus on their own work and not worry about holding anyone's hand. Yeah, no, that's great. I like it. I like it a lot. Yeah. Very cool. Um, let's yeah. see. Uh, you know what? Let's let's talk about your <clears throat> let's talk about your your cutting for a little bit. Oh yeah, it's my favorite. <laughs> yeah. So tell us about it. Wow, that's a loaded. Okay. So it's kind of open ended. Yeah, it is, and that's okay. Um, because I'm I'm very passionate about cutting, so I could talk about it for like eight million days. Um, so cutting, basically, I mean, there's a sportive element to it, but there's also a martial element to it. Um. You use your sharp swords and you cut things, right? And that's really all there is to it. It's so easy. I mean, if you just swing it the right way, it'll cut through anything. Um, <laughs> sorry, that's that's a dig on some recent <laughs> social media drama. Anyway, um, yeah, even so, steel. 
Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. So, I mean, we use a lot of different mediums. Uh, tatami, I think, is the most traditional medium. We kind of copy and pasted that from the um, Japanese sword arts community, the Tamishigiri. Yeah, um, because it's so the, cool. Well, there, there's just nothing better. I mean, it's it's the best option. It's just really labor intensive. Like you have to, I mean, and expensive. You have to buy the mats and then you get them. You have to roll them the right way. You have to soak them for the right amount of time. Then you have to drain them. Then you have to spike them, which in and of itself can be really dangerous. Um, <laughs> and for all of the hours that you put into preparing it, it's cut in 10 seconds and then it's done. Yeah. So which is super cool. Tatami is my favorite, but it's very labor intensive. So it also sounds very Japanese. It is. Yeah. There's something about like, you have to roll it and it's very ritualized and you know, you're putting all this time into it just to destroy it in like 10 seconds. Um, it, it seems very culturally uh, befitting of, of, uh, of a Japanese mm -hmm. sword art. Yeah. So, you know, but it works great for testing sharp swords for Hema as well. But again, it's very expensive. It's hard to come by. Um, and of course, it's labor intensive to get it set up and prepared. So there's other mediums. Uh, paper is something that I really enjoy. Some people are a little skeptical of paper because it doesn't have the same density as tatami. So it doesn't require the same amount of power. Um, but paper is very unforgiving. And it's really good at shaming you when you don't do well. Um, like if you don't cut the paper right with good edge alignment and good speed um it makes this very loud cracking flutter and it's so embarrassing and shameful because you're like dang i can't cut paper so <laughs> <laughs> and it's and it's an instant feedback and you're like okay time to get better um <laughs> but paper is great it's cheap uh the only downside well there's a couple downsides to paper but paper is um not messy, but you have to clean up all the cut pieces. And unless you have a good recycling program, it kind of sucks to just throw several yeah. hundred feet of paper into the garbage. Um, so what I did is uh, one of my friends is a blacksmith and uh, he was like, what are you doing with that paper after? And I'm like, oh, nothing. <laughs> and he's like, well, can I use it? And I was like, sure. He's like, I just need paper to pack the products that I make and, and ship out. And he's oh, like, I think it'd great. be, yeah, he's like, I think it'd be a cool gimmick to be able to advertise that my shipping paper is cut by swords, you know? So yeah. it worked out and I was like, yeah, dude, here you go. So I just, I roll it up when I'm done and I leave it for him and he uses it. Um, See, that's cool. Cut yeah. by swords. Yeah. yeah. So it works out. Um, but I don't think everybody has that, <laughs> that sick hookup. So unfortunately it's, it's a little bit wasteful, um, but it's probably less wasteful than, to Tommy in the long run, but and then of course yeah. there's like there's clay. People who cut clay, I hate cutting clay, um, mostly because it's messy and yeah. a pain in the ass. But um, and then there's pool noodles. I okay, I hate pool noodles. <laughs> um, pool noodles need to be completely eviscerated from anybody's cutting medium repertoire. It's just I hate it. Um, <laughs> dumb. But, uh, yeah, I mean, really, you can cut, I guess, anything. The only thing I don't cut is, like, meat. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, everybody asks, oh, have you ever done, like, a pig carcass? Or have you ever cut, like, meat? And it's like, I have. But then, like, I cover my, I, I wipe down my blades with, like, motor oil. 
um, or gun oil. Oh, and yeah. so, like, I cut and then like now my meat is contaminated, like, mm-hmm. and I can't not do that. Right. So, right. and, and also I just, I don't know, it doesn't entice me. It doesn't give me the same feedback because right. like the reason I like cutting tatami and paper is you can immediately see the line of your cut. It gives you visual feedback. Whereas yeah. like the meat is so like, uh, what's the word? It'll deform a lot through the cut. So it doesn't really give you the same kind of like training feedback. Yeah. Um, and that's even more expensive. People are like, oh, tatami's expensive. So I'm going to cut meat. And it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> Talk about expensive. Holy yeah. moly. You yeah. know? Anyway, sorry. Like I said, I could talk for eight million days about cutting. No, so. no that's that's great. This is a very fascinating topic. So you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm thinking. There's this. Um, what is it? Uh, there's a there's a medium that you could use on your swords that's a that's a food friendly, but it might keep your swords a little bit. But you know, if you're using motor oil or gun oil, and then you got to clean all that up, and then you know, apply this yeah. other thing. Oh, yeah, I'm sure there are alternatives. I'm just, I'm a creature of habit. Oh, sure. Um, uh, yeah, no, yeah. And now like, it's just what I use. <laughs> yeah, I think it's um, a zinc. Maybe? I don't yeah. know. And they I think, put... like, there's a, there's a type of gun oil, I think it's called frog lube, and I think that that's food grade, but, like, I, I don't want to be, like, put on right. record saying that it is, because... Sure. I would hate to like lead somebody astray and then they get horribly sick after cutting their pig carcass and eating it <laughs> <laughs> like yeah. as one does. Yeah. Right. As one does. As one does. <laughs> <laughs> now I've seen um, videos of you cutting paper yeah. w- with a fetter. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's what I like about paper um, is it's very accessible. So um, cutting tatami requires a sharp sword, and as most people know, sharp swords can be very, very expensive. Mm. Um, especially if you want to get into, uh, people call cutting the 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 gulf of hema, because um, <laughs> we get very like into our swords and optimizing our cutting swords for tournaments, and you can easily drop a thousand dollars on a on a basic tournament sword. Mm. Um, you don't have to, obviously, but a lot of people choose to. Yeah. So. Cutting can sometimes feel a little bit inaccessible um, from a cost perspective. So when you do paper cutting with a fetter, you know, most people that are into HEMA already have a fetter or a blunt sword. So all you need to do is, you know, spend the 50 bucks on paper, run a string through it and hang it from a rafter or something as long as you have enough clearance and away you go. And it's going to give you the the same sort of feedback. You're going to train the same way. Um, And that's what makes it great. I'm actually going to Michigan. Uh, by the time this comes out, this might already have happened, but I'm going to the AG Open in Michigan. It's hosted by Ars Gladii. Um, and they're doing a cutting tournament, but it's not actually a cutting tournament with sharps. They're doing the tournament entirely using blunt swords on paper. That is quite is- interesting. Yes, yes. Wow. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Um, it, it's a lot less... Um, what's the word... Uh, stressful, I think, for new people that have never cut before. I think a lot of people hesitate to enter into cutting tournaments because they don't have a lot of opportunities to cut with a sharp, and they're mm-hmm. a little uncomfortable swinging around a sharp sword. Um, and so at least like if you go with something like this where you're using a, a blunt on paper, 
then it's it's a little bit more beginner friendly it's more accessible and they were able to make it free so i think there was no additional charge to do the cutting tournament you just got to do it so whereas traditionally cutting tournaments are very expensive because you have to cover the cost of tatami Mm -hmm. so i think it was a cool idea but uh yeah i'm definitely gonna have to like come home and cut more tatami because it doesn't quite scratch the itch for me you know yeah um but I think it's a cool thing to do. It's a it's a great way to get people more experience with cutting and introduce them to cutting um, without some of the barriers that are traditionally associated with it. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. When Just as you say, that, that, that barrier to entry, when I saw that, I thought, you know, wow, maybe I could do something like that and oh, uh, yeah. just have people, because in my club, um, a lot of people don't have their fetters yet. And right. so it's like, okay, borrow my fetter. You can do the thing. Um, yep. Yes, it's, it's, it's quite fascinating. So circling back to the pool noodles, what makes <laughs> them atrocious? Why is it? Uh... You know, I just, um, one, I, I hate how they look. Um, I don't know why. It's not, an, it's not a fair criticism at all. Um, I just think that they are, they're gaudy and they look silly. Um <laughs> But also, I don't think they actually provide a whole lot of relevant feedback um, from a, a training perspective. Um, because, you know, on one hand, it's like, oh, you have to be very precise to get just the right angle and just the right speed to cut a pool noodle. Um, but it's like, okay, I can get that from literally everything else. Um, I find them horrifically wasteful. And as wasteful as I can be with paper and tatami, I think it's, you know, having a, a plastic foam medium like that that's not really recyclable um, is right. kind of wasteful. What are you going to do with it after that? Exactly. They're super cheap. Um, but also, if, you're sh- if your sword isn't sharp enough, it will not It will not cut the tatami. Or, I'm sorry, it will not cut the pool noodle. But um, a less sharp sword, I'm talking like less than razor sharp, will still cut tatami. Just it's going to be more difficult. You know, but with a pool noodle, because it's so uh, flimsy, there's no resistance. You you could be getting feedback that isn't actually having anything to do with your skill or your form. It could just be that your sword isn't sharp enough. And that kind of like negative bias is, is not helpful for a lot of people training. Right. And especially when most people that have sharps don't know how to sharpen their own swords, they're probably not actually helping themselves at all by cutting pool noodles. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, I've never actually done the pool noodles because I thought, oh, that's kind of interesting, and but I'm not doing it. <laughs> yeah, and I yeah. mean, the really long ones, so like what you can do is if you have a traditional like tatami cutting stand with like a one-inch dowel spike, most pool noodles also have a one-inch diameter hole, and you can just kind of stick it on the spike. Mm-hmm. But they're so long that they kind of like bend over a little bit, so they're not like straight. And that makes it very difficult to cut them, like yeah, from a training that. perspective. It, it's sort of just like, if that's all you have to cut, that's better than nothing. But like, it, it's like just just go buy paper. <laughs> it's just, it's not worth it in my opinion. But I yeah, digress. that's yeah. So okay, so uh, Michigan, and, and when is when is this happening? When is this tourney happening? Uh, May fifth and sixth. And seventh, May fifth, sixth, and seventh. And uh, what's uh, what what's the name of this tournament? A G 
open. Don't. Ah. I thought I asked. I'm like, is the AG because like the school is ours, Gladiant? He's like, no, it's just AG. Oh, I was like, what? <laughs> I think he was messing with me, but oh, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a cool event. It's uh, like I said, run by ours, Gladiant, but um, the main sort of driving force behind it is Sean Franklin, who is one of my favorite people, not just in HEMA, but in the entire world. He's one of my best friends. And as, like, you know, anytime he does something, I'm like, I'm right there with you, buddy. I'm going to support you. So I'm heading up there. And <laughs> That's a good super time. cool. Yeah. So I'm going to go cut and I'm going to go teach and it's going to be fun. You know, just a little bit of a digression. The, uh, the sword stem, I mean, that's all his thing, right? Yep. Yep. He yeah. has some other authors that like contribute, uh, but that is his, that is his baby. One of his many children you know i think of myself as a is a relatively bright individual until i get into sword stem i'm like this is just insanely incredible and useful and of course and all this stuff and then it's like i can't visualize even what he's talking about here but i know it's important and relevant and i'm just i'm just gonna i'm just gonna grab onto that coattail and i'm gonna read this thing and i'm just trying to ascertain the importance yes. of it but he really gets so deep into uh, you know the the physics the mechanics and and uh, just kind of relates that um to our martial art our sport whatever you want to call it and uh, it's really fascinating and he gleans some interesting uh data and uh and and results from that i i, I it's just really fascinating i'm nerdy enough just to think wow this is a this really is cool, cool tool yeah, I am. Um, I'm not. But I smart. fall flat trying to explain it to to yes. people in class. Are like, so? I'm like, yeah. Oh, oh I'm, never mind. <laughs> I'm not smart enough uh, to really get sword stem articles most of the time, but you know, I always make sure I click them, I read them, and I go, "Good job, Sean," because I'm I'm supportive and I'm a good friend. But I usually, he's like, "Oh, what'd you think of it?" And I'm like, "I didn't." <laughs> I didn't. Um, that's not my area of expertise. You know, I'm 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 a sword jock, and my flavor of nerd is art history. So like, sword jock. it just doesn't doesn't cross paths for me. But uh, I think I think the work that he does is extraordinarily valuable. Um, it's an amazing resource for the community. So I do everything I can to support it, even though it goes way over my head. <laughs> Well, good. I, I I'm glad I'm not alone in that. But it just it yeah. It, <laughs> well, interesting things like hey, this rule set turns out doesn't affect at all where we're hitting each other, and I, and it just kind of blows my mind. Like, well, okay, here's the evidence, right? Yes. It's like we have this and that and X Y Z, and why are we even wasting our time with you know this and that yeah. and the other, you know? So, uh, it's really illuminating and extremely rigorous, and. Uh, um, I, I don't click on every one just because I'm life overwhelms me a lot oh, <laughs> and I, I have a lot on my plate right now, but, um, I do click um, when I have a spare moment and it is deep. It is so deep. So yes. I met Sean once briefly. Um, but, uh, he, he was, he was keeping score in a tournament and, 
uh, you know, like something he would do. Yeah. <laughs> and as you're doing that, you don't want to talk to someone who saw you on YouTube and wanted to fanboy on him. You know, <laughs> so, yeah. it's not the time. Right. Yeah. So I did say hi to him and he has no idea who I am, but I did oh. meet him once. <laughs> Sean, Sean and I go way back, um, all the way back to when we were both living in Canada. Um, yeah. When we started HEMA together many, many, many years ago. But uh he just he does so many amazing things for the community and I feel very grateful to have him as a friend and as a resource that I can lean on when I need advice. Um and I do so often. Yeah. So but yeah, he's got he got Sword Stem and then he has another kind of like adjacent blog. It's called Sword Stuff. So if it's not immediately like relevant to STEM, he puts it on Sword Stuff. So I don't think a lot of people know that that blog exists, but I it does. Even know. Yeah, and it's awesome. And of course, he's the mastermind behind uh, Hema Scorecard, which has been the backbone of so many tournaments. Like, the 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 dude just at this point needs like if if there was a Hema Hall of Fame, he would be like the first entry because he's done For so sure. much, you know. Yeah, the nuts and bolts and the mathematics and just um... yeah, he's just been he's been an incredible gift to the community, and I don't think he gets nearly enough recognition for it. So that's you know. That's just me. <laughs> yeah. We're looking at you, Mr. Franklin. <laughs> yeah. Go Sean. <laughs> All 10 people who will watch this particular podcast. No, yeah. lots of people are going to watch this podcast Yeah, or, or listen to it anyway. So anyway, yeah, that, that, that was cool. So <laughs> Sean, I didn't meet you once. You don't have any idea who I am, but that's not a bad reflection on you. It was just bad timing on my part. <laughs> well, fortunately, he, he travels a ton. So, you know, running into him is not difficult. Uh, he's an easy person to track down, it seems. Yeah, that's cool. I'll, I'll shake his hand one of these days. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, the AG Open. Open, right? AG Open? AG Open. Yeah. Very cool. So you're going to be cutting paper there and yeah. uh, showing people up and taking home some shiny medals? Oh, hopefully. We'll see. Maybe. I'm, I'm a little... A little nervous. They put me in uh, tier A cutting, which is a huge honor, and I'm I'm really just excited. But T top uh, shelf. I'm <laughs> I'm definitely going to be competing against people who certainly have the better of me. I think in this case, so my expectations for pulling a medal is not super high. I don't think it's impossible, but uh, I'm tempering my expectations. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. That's that's great. Yeah. Uh yeah, wonderful. You know, um I I um am kind of a jock, especially my 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 younger years, you know, very competitive with myself. Um sure, yeah. and, and if I you know that moment where you're competing in a sword tournament and you think it just dawns on you like feeling good. The competition is at a at a certain i don't know how to explain it. you just feel like i could win this today yeah yeah and lots of times it doesn't happen sometimes it does you're like <laughs> i can i can win this today oh yeah i've i've <laughs> had that i've had that for sure i've also had moments where i've been like this this is not it <laughs> right like oh i'm a dumpster fire right now yeah, yeah. everyone's yeah. so much better than me yeah. yeah and secretly you're like i really hope that they don't submit this to hema ratings because i know this is not my day <laughs> <laughs> i've had that i've had that but... yeah but that's the beauty of it right i mean you you, you never know till you get there 
Yeah, for sure. For sure. And it's, it, I think having a good mindset is so important, you know, like having that drive to be like, okay, I can do this. I'm capable of this um, is, is important, but also kind of humbling yourself too. You, you can't underestimate anybody. No. If you walk into a fight and be like, oh yeah, I'm going to wreck this person. And then you don't like, yeah, <laughs> you know, so it, it's, it's good to have the right, the right mindset going into a tournament, of course. Keeps you humble. At least most of us. <laughs> oh, it, it really does. There's many moments where I've been humbled. <laughs> <laughs> That's the nature of the beast. It Brittany, is. what else do we need to cover today? Ah, goodness. Uh, well, we got the really, cutting. Yeah. We got the school. Yeah. We talked about people gardening. Yes. Yes. People, I, I guess people gardening is much more appropriate of a term than people farming. So I think <laughs> yeah, we that sounds... on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Farming is just so industrial for, yeah. Also it has weird, weird implications, but, um, <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, other than that, I mean, I'm just, my life kind of revolves around my sword school and my refuge is in cutting. And that's been my life <laughs> like completely lately. So that's a, that's really cool. So is it fair to say that it's kind of like cutting is your happy place? Yes. A thousand, a thousand percent. I say that a lot, actually. Um, I, I have a really or I had a really complicated relationship with competing and uh, with like uh, fighting tournaments. Yeah, I, I was I was really good at it. I dominated for a really long time, but it never made me happy. Mm. Uh, I remember the very first time I I've told this story so many times in podcasts and stuff, but it it always kind of comes back. Obviously, I've got some repressed feelings on this. Um, my very first time winning a gold medal, my instructor put the gold medal around my neck and I expected him to be like, congratulations, or I'm so proud of you. And he didn't say that. Instead, he's like, prove it wasn't a fluke. Do it again. <laughs> Holy crap. Man. That's, that's just kind of hard. This was like, a, this was a gold medal. This was like, as as good as it's gonna get and i'm like oh my god what if he's right what if this was a fluke what if what if the brackets just shook out in a way that favored me and i'm really not actually this good um and it was a total fluke so i went this into emotional my emotional trowel just yeah. yeah i went yeah. into my next tournament and all i could think about was like if i don't win i'm a fraud and oh awful. fortunately i won and I thought, okay, whew, nice. Okay, we've got this. And then I went into my next tournament and I was like, oh God, but what if you lose now? Like, and it was just, it was this perpetual, like. Like oh. training an assassin. It was horrible. It was this, this perpetual cycle of never being good enough. And then when I finally lost and I got a silver, it completely obliterated me mentally. Wow. And wow. yeah, it was, it was so messed up. And, uh, I was like, you know, I think, I think I need to step back and I still competed, but a lot more casually. Yeah. I dropped, I dropped my main category, which was longsword, And I kind of took up sword and buckler instead. And I had a lot of success in sword and buckler, which was awesome. But 
I never, uh, I never meddled. I always made top eight, but I never meddled. Yeah. And I was like, this is okay. I can enjoy this. Um, but then I found cutting and for whatever reason, I think it was like, because it was very personal, um, there was nobody that I had to beat. You know, I wasn't facing a ring where like on the other side, there's somebody that I had to lose to. Cause like, I always, I hated the idea of like somebody beating me and then being able to be like, Ooh, I beat her. And like using that to like kind of prop up their own, right. That made me very insecure. And, and I hated that idea. So then I found cutting and I was like, Oh, there's no one to blame, but me, there's nobody who's in control of this, but me. But like when you're fighting, you know, you can't control anything. You can only train as much as you can train. And you can't help if that other person is taller, stronger, faster. Like that's out of your control. You can't help if the judges decide that they didn't see that hit. Mm, So like it can feel, and I felt entitled to winning. I think that was part of my problem is like my coach always said, you only get out of this what you put into it, which is true. But it was like, he would tell me things like, oh, why weren't you here last night? Like, why weren't you training? Oh, well, you know, I already trained Monday, Tuesday. I thought I'd take Wednesday and then I have Thursday, Friday. He's like, well, you weren't here. And this other person who you're supposed to be competing against, they were training tonight. Where were you? You only, oh, wow. You're only going to get in or get out what you put in. And it, it freaked me out. So I was training 20 to 25 hours a week. And I felt entitled. I was like, I've put in more time than anybody. I deserve to win. So then when I didn't win, I was like, what have I done wrong? I need to work harder, 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 harder to the point where it was impossible. Right. But then with cutting, because like, I think the problem was like, I'd go into these fights, I'd expect to win. But then things that were out of my control would cause me to lose. A judge didn't see this or I can't help that this this guy's six foot four. Right. Like. No matter how many hours I put in, you know, there's just things that I couldn't control. Yeah, that's quite an advantage. Just that's a big reach advantage. (laughs) Well, I'm only I'm 100 pounds and I'm five foot six. Like I'm always physically disadvantaged. Um, But like I, I, I felt entitled. And when it came to cutting, it was very humbling because if I failed my cut, I'm the only one who failed it. It's not because there was somebody bigger or stronger cutting that mat instead of me. It was on me. And I really latched onto that and it became safe for me to fail. Like, I, I don't know how else to explain that. And I wasn't very good at cutting <laughs> when I started. Nobody is. Um, yeah. But I think it was when I finally, I won my first bronze medal in an open cutting tournament. And I was like, whoa, I might actually be okay at this. And then I wanted to be better at it, but not because I had to to prove anything. It was just like a personal goal, right? And I still, at this point, I've got three bronze medals in an open and a silver in an open. I have not won a gold. And I'm like, I want to, but I'm not obsessed over it like I used to be. Yeah. You know, so it, it's been a journey. And I think that's why I like cutting so much is because I've finally been able to have a good relationship with my training with competing and just enjoy the process, you know, which I've never, I never had that advantage when I started. So anyway, yeah. And a long kind of story, (laughs) 
I love cutting and it's my happy place. <laughs> no, that's great. That's thank you for opening up and sharing that with us. I mean, that's that's uh you know, you were talking about this and just in my mind I thought cutting is like sword golf. It is. It is the golf of Hema, I know. Yeah. <laughs> and, 100%. And I had this crazy wild thought in my head like, okay, what if? What if we just made it sword golf? What if there was 18 holes and you had to walk with your sword in this wonderful serene place and you're at this different scenic area and you cut and then you go off to the next one? Anyway, I was just kind of thinking that in my head as you're describing just this wonderful I love it. Yeah, wouldn't that be cool? I think that'd be great if somebody wanted to create like a like an eighteen hole cutting course, and it's like it's just leisurely. I'm like, dude, I will give you all the money you want to make that happen. Man, okay, <laughs> we're doing this wrong because I think that's where the money is. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, I was one of the few people when tatami became excruciatingly expensive um, during and post the pandemic. Yeah, I was right. one of the few people who was like. I don't care how much it costs. Still buying it. I'm I'm buying it. I'll drop I'll drop, you know, five hundred dollars onto Tommy. I don't even care. You um, know it. Yeah, go ahead. It, yeah, it's just I was gonna say I I was preparing for a, a cutting tournament in Finland uh, last January, and my curiosity was kind of piqued. I I tracked my spending for preparing for it. All the tatami I purchased, all the paper I purchased, and just in preparing for that tournament alone, I spent. A little over a thousand dollars on it just on the materials to cut oh wow yeah yeah <laughs> so like if you like it yeah i mean you know people people will drop thousands of dollars on armor <laughs> i can drop oh easy on, yeah i can drop a thousand dollars on some grass mats like why not <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah i just i was so dedicated to it and to my training and i was so passionate about it that I decided, you know, that's that's where I was going to spend my money, you know, was just yeah. on that. Um, and some people thought it was crazy, but, you know, like I said, people will put thousands of dollars into hobbies that, you know, we look at and go like, oh, why would you do that? You know? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, you could put a thousand dollars in a gas tank for your boat over the weekend. I mean, oh, it's... yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's not that big. Yeah. But yeah, if anybody wants to create an expensive golf cutting excursion, I'll 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 do it. Sign me up. Noted. Yeah. yeah. Me up. Yeah, that would that would actually be that would be amazing, actually. Uh <laughs> be like a retreat. Yeah. Like on some fancy resort. I'd do it. Yeah, and it's like, okay, here's your long sword. Here's yeah. a quick tutorial. All right. Be safe, everybody. <laughs> yeah, go out there and cut. <laughs> oh, man. Don't drop it. Yep. Trust me, don't drop it. Yeah, don't, don't, don't drop it on your it. foot. Don't try and catch it if it falls. Just treat it like a firearm. You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. 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 No, but that would be something, wouldn't it? That'd be, that'd be super cool. So. Oh, yeah. I hope somebody takes that idea and runs with it because I don't have the bandwidth to do that, but I would right. definitely participate in it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you you're talking about you know complications with um with uh, competing, and I I think a lot of people for various reasons sort of it, it gets complicated for them, and for me, 
Um, I'm so weird how I got into swords. I mean, sword people are weird anyway. Anyway, I mean, yeah, of course. we're all weird together. But right. uh, I, I was, I was, um, you know, I had a commute. It was an hour and a half one way, and uh, you know, paying the bills, working in front of a computer all day, and you know, I was, gosh, my my younger life. You know, before I was family dude, uh, you know, I played football, I played basketball, I went hiking, I went camping, I went backpacking, I, you know, rock climbing, like anything with the ball, I would play and enjoy it, even if yeah. I wasn't any good at it. And um, anyway, just Mr. Athlete. And so one day I was like, yeah, I'm going to run across this parking lot to get to my car because I want to save, a, a, you know, a couple, you know, some time. And I was so humbled. I couldn't, I was like <gasps> across the parking lot. And I thought, dude, you're in your thirties. You are too young for this. This is going to kill you. You're going to die. Like you are, <laughs> you keep doing this. You are going to die. So yeah. So I thought, uh, okay, so what am I going to do? I gotta be, I gotta be active again. I gotta do this thing. Long story short, I was uh, surfing Amazon one day and I saw it. There it was. It was a cold steel hand and a half yeah. polypropylene trainer bat. It's that sword, but it feels like a bat. Yeah. It is. yeah. <laughs> I know exactly this, what you're talking about. Yeah. I, right. I have one. <laughs> yeah. We all have one. It seems like. And uh, so anyway, I knew nothing. And I started walking around because I had started running before I started. And, and this is how I learned how to cut, not how to cut, how to, how to swing a sword, the balance. I would walk. And I would swing the sword as I walked and I would feel out the balance. And I did this. This was, when was this? Just like 2010. And, um, you know, uh, YouTube wasn't what it is today. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> so there's all kinds of stuff about swords now. But back in the day, there really wasn't. And um, I learned kind of slowly on myself this weird bohemian journey anyway um it was very zen for me and this is so i was i was living in southern california i was living in lake elsinore because i couldn't afford to to live and work in carlsbad and for those of you who don't know you have to be a millionaire to live in a regular house in a regular suburb to live in carlsbad california it's it's, it's kind of crazy oh, wow. um but, you know, the CEO of the company I was working for certainly could afford it. And it was great for them and everyone else. And, and it was a it's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it's right on the beach, Southern California. Every day is a perfect weather day. <clears throat> so on my lunch breaks, I would go outside. I'd bring my gym clothes. And I'd put them on. And I'd go outside. And I'd catch the sun. And I'd swing my sword. And I'd put in music on my headphones. And it was my happy place. And I would just swing this thing and I would get rhythmic. I would swing it like just rhythmically. Tap, 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 tap. And, then, and focus on the, the motions doing the same thing, exactly right. the same, just over and over in a rhythm. And it was like, ah, it, it was intoxicating. That, honestly, it was intoxicating. And um, so that's 
how I started with swords, <laughs> doing stuff like that. And uh, I don't do it like that anymore because my life is busy. Now I'm an instructor and I plan things and I do this, you know, oh, da, 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 you right. know podcast, yeah. all that. So it's a different journey for me now. But every once in a while, I think back like, wow, I want that hit again. I need to do, I need to find my happy place again. I need yeah. to, I mean, I'm in my happy place, but it's not the original yeah. Happy oh, I place. totally get that. I totally get that. It was, yeah, yeah, cutting, cutting was sort of that, that renaissance for me, that, that reinvigorating kind of like, because I was definitely getting to the point where I was like, okay, I'm running my sword school and like, what's the point? And like, I don't want to compete anymore. Mm -hmm. Like, what, what am I doing for me? Yeah. And, and when I found it and I kind of just latched onto it, I was like, oh, this is, this is beautiful. This is everything that I missed. And, and it's yeah. been years now. So I just kept running with it. <laughs> That's so wonderful. I'm, I'm glad that you, you have your happy place. And just in a, in a broader context, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are just kind of hungry for something, right? They need to, they, they're looking to be grounded. They need something. And for you, yeah. it's, it's the cutting. And that kind of circles back to the whole, you know, there's, there's people out there, they're looking for something more. And, and I, to my core, believe that sword art forms, you know, especially what we do, I'm biased, I like historical fencing. Um, <laughs> we have a lot to offer for people who are just looking for something, right? More community, more yeah. grounding, more release, more challenge, more, you know, the cool thing about what we do is we can't even agree if it's a hobby or a sport or a martial art. Right. And, but that's the strength of it, right? It's there's something for everybody that we could be all of those things all at once. And um, yeah, that's, that's the beauty of our, of our community, I think. And it's, I agree. Worth, yeah, it's, it's, it's worth very sharing. versatile. It's very diverse and it's got a little bit of something for everybody. And I, I think that is what makes the community so unique is that there is really a place for everybody to belong. I think that's what makes it so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. <laughs> we have been at this for uh, almost two hours and oh, it doesn't goodness. feel like it. It doesn't feel that like it That went by very fast. Holy moly. <laughs> well, uh, is there, I, I know I asked this, um, is there anything else that we need to discuss today? You know, I think I think we've covered a, a good amount of ground. I'm I'm happy to have shared the thoughts that I did. So hopefully it was interesting. <laughs> you know what? It really was. Um, you're very gracious for coming on the show. So I uh, I, I want to thank you, Brittany, for coming on. And oh, thank uh, it, you. it was yeah, it was good to get to know you a little bit better and and discuss the 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 journey, right? Um, and you know. You have a lot to be proud of, your accomplishments, the things that you've done, right? Um, just Thank the you. vision that you've had the, and the uncompromising. Like, I would call you uncompromising. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, in, in a good way, right? Like, like you see it, you've done it, you know, you're, you're obviously very skilled. You, 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 you have this program that, that you run, you have this, this place, you've worked hard to get it going. And, um, I, I think we could use that as a, as a, as a shining example to people who want to take their training to the next level. Um, because, and, and the reason I say that as, as instructors, right? The reason I say that is because 
there's nothing quite like getting better at swordsmanship than having to teach it and being accountable to teach others. Oh, I agree. That's that's a whole other level of, you know, taking things to the next step is being able to not just understand it for yourself, but being able to explain it to others in a way that they can understand is, I think, a depth of knowledge that is really that that next kind of phase for a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, thank you for everything you do uh, for the community and uh, for coming on this show. Uh, It was my pleasure. I had a lot of fun with it. Thank you. You're welcome. So Brittany St. Leafy, everybody. Uh, So let me close off here. Let's do this thing. So everybody remember to slay your demons. And we'll catch you on the next one. Take care, everybody.